0: So just be aware of that. When we talk about this, macro is different than micro. Your life is not the life of average person who has 1.2 children. I've always wondered about that 0.2 child, that poor thing. Once more onto the breach, dear friends, else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning and welcome back to uh, an exciting second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and Jeff McClure. We are the balding duo. We are uh, bravely facing into the future uh, and by how we face into the future is mostly by looking over our shoulders and measuring it against the past. Uh, we've got lots of stuff to talk about. We've got stuff moving around in Congress, tax law changes. We've got secure act stuff coming up. What you going to say? I was going to talk a little more about the debt. Depends on what, There's a big. there's a big difference between debt that's
1: spent on nothing and debt that's spent on something. We had a, economic collapse it began in 1929 and kind of maximized its effect in 1934 and in, and we're still suffering from it in some ways and it lasted for goodness gracious it stayed, started a world war i can't the number of millions of people who died because of the fact that any insufficient action was taken because of it are just it's just overwhelming the alternative would have been to borrow money, which Congress didn't want to do at the time. They didn't want to go into deep debt to fund the economy or do things. They probably were incapable of funding it to the way we funded it this time anyway. The other thing, the post-World War boom is when the United States took off. And that was on borrowed money. The interstate highway system, the rural electrical system going out to the people that are in, in farms, the um, the telephone systems going on, those were all based on
0: government debt. and It more than paid for itself.
1: It, when, when investments, when when debt is created to create investment in any business, it's a good thing. The trick is to take a look at it. The trick, the, the, the baseline to it is to take a look at that. What's, what is the money being spent on?
0: Right. If you take a business that has a bunch of lines that are producing profit, and you spend something to improve that, that's considered a good investment even if it's in debt. As long as the debt price is low, you've got a low interest rate on it and the, the payment is sustainable, you look at your profitability increase based on that spending and you say it's going to pay for itself. So when you look at uh, the telephone, well obviously having a telephone allowed people to do a lot more business. Sears Roebuck definitely took off with the shift from the telegraph to the telephone. Uh, a lot of other companies did too. The stock market as we know it took off with the telephone. So you can see the trade in, and commerce, the ability to buy and sell companies, the ability for companies to buy and sell things, the ability for you to buy things from them, to sell things to them, all of that increased with the technology of the telephone. The same is true with broadband access, only to a much greater extent. Uh, And if we've got places, and we do, we have places all over the United States that are missing broadband. I mean, I mentioned this before, Salado, Texas. If you're in the tiny little village of Salado, you're really lucky because you're right on the I-35 corridor. And you've got good fiber optics running up and down Uh, down that corridor, up that corridor. And it's not hard to get hooked into it. Go five miles west or five miles east. It's less than five miles west. It's less than five miles east. If you go two miles west or two miles east, you're back down to a much slower internet connection. So what's the difference? If you have a business Uh, And there's businesses all through this area. There's, you know, real estate schools and so on. Well, they went online during the pandemic. And there's no saying that it's a bad idea to stay online. It may be a great idea to stay online, but if they can't host their classes because their broadband's low, then it's going to limit them to in-person only, which means they're going to fall behind their competition. And there's really nothing that that business can do without spending a huge amount of money to do it itself. Where if the government spends some money to put a fiber optic line down that road, it's a lot of money to do it. But when you think of the tax increase from all of the extra business that takes place for the people that are on that pipeline, the revenue more than pays for it over a relatively short period of time. The same with roads. If you can't get your trucks in out from your factory or into your factory, it slows down business. I know, that seems like... I'm going to an extreme example, but it's not extreme. Uh, difficulty getting in and out of say Brownsville or Brownsville's not a place where you would think there's gonna be a huge amount of investment. We have a huge port there for import and export. We got a lot of pipelines that go to it, but the corridors that get to it and go away from it are relatively small. That means that there's a whole chunk of Texas that isn't getting business the way it should. And a minor investment, and it's still considered a minor investment by the size of the economy, can produce a great deal of extra commerce, extra wealth in the nation, and extra tax revenue. There. Back to you. I think I've filled in that, yeah, that lap. Yeah,
1: you know, it's kind of funny. We were going into a surplus in, in 2000. And In fact, in the year 2000, in 1999 and 2000, we actually had a surplus in the United States. We are starting to pay off our debt. I think it's funny, the people that I hear complaining about the debt at this point are some of the people who supported the Republican takeover
0: of Congress and the White House. I did at the time. I, and, and so did I. And we and we looked at it and we said, hey, we're on track to pay down the debt. Let's lower the taxes a bit. If we're still paying off debt, it's all good. And then we had two wars. And those... And two, two wars in a recession. Two wars. the... Followed by the Great Recession. Yeah. And then we had stimulus. I'm not talking
1: about the Great Recession. I'm talking about the one
0: 2000-2002 oh, yeah. recession. Yeah. yeah. You forgot about that one. huh? No, no, I didn't. It's just, it was not as great. You know, I only talk about the great ones. You know, this that was just a kind of a mild okay one. I don't Who called it great? They have a different definition. They must mean the size of it. Who knows? It, anyway. So, we took on a lot of debt after that and we've made no effort to increase how we pay it off. In fact, that's not even part of the thought process in Congress and and the Republicans are now taking up the standard but they were in control last year and that was not a standard that they were holding they weren't f- waving that flag saying hey let's bring the debt down and they had the opportunity the Democrats at least never claimed that they were trying to lower the debt not that that makes it any better that we're spending huge amounts of money but the reality is at some point we have to pay it back and we do need to spend the money that that is in talks now, whether or not all of the money is being used appropriate. Well, I can tell you without any doubt in my mind that all the money will not be used appropriately. There will be waste, there will be mismanagement because this is the government. Uh, it's also true in business too though. Right. It's absolutely true in business as well. That anytime you have a big project like this, you're going to have waste. You're going to have mismanagement because- Usually you grab somebody who did this, you know, and this is their normal job. Come over here and handle this, this spending. Except when we're doing something new or something that hasn't been done for 20 years, who do you grab to do it? So of course there's going to be mismanagement because nobody's got experience doing it in the last year. You're going to be rusty. That doesn't give excuses. We got to hold them to a high standard, but you should just expect wastage when you have a big project and, try to fight against it, but expect it. So yes, we're gonna have wastage, but even wastage leads to money in the economy. It's not efficient, and I certainly wouldn't say, let's spend a bunch of money on wastage, but it's not 100% bad either. Somebody's getting that money. Um, I, I, I think we're talking on the same pathway here. There's certain money, this is true domestically too, if you get a car loan so that you can go to work, that's a good use of debt because you probably don't have cash in your bank account to pay for the whole car up front. And are you going to be more earning more at work than you're paying on the car? Well, hopefully, I, I certainly hope so. Otherwise, it's a really bad idea to buy whatever car that was. So it's a good investment. It's not one that when you turn around and sell it, it's you're not buying this investment for appreciation. You're literally buying it for its utility, its use, to get you to work. If you take debt that you're not going to pay for years for the food you're eating today, that's bad debt. Because that food that you eat today is only going to give you some good today. And maybe it's not going to give you good if it's the wrong kind of food. And you can generally tell the difference between
1: good debt and bad debt by the interest rate. If you charge something on your credit card, anywhere, even if it's a 10% charge charge in 10% interest and you leave the balance on the credit card at 10% to 19% or whatever you're paying, that's generally an indication you got some problems. On the other hand, if you refinance your house at two and a quarter percent, which is lower than probable inflation in the future, in essence, the lender is paying you to borrow the money, which is where the United States government is right now. The interest rate on government securities right now is below probable future inflation which means we have a negative real interest rate on treasuries in the United States right now, which means people who are loaning money to the treasury are paying the United States government to loan, to to borrow the money. It's silly not to borrow as much as you can profitably use. I don't borrow money just to borrow money. Although that sometimes
0: works too. Well, you you got to pay it back at some point.
1: Well, you do, but Microsoft borrowed money just to borrow money for a while. and So did Apple. Um, because interest rates were so low in essence they were getting paid to borrow money. And they said this is a good deal. We can right. find something to use. We can find something to use it on. But the debt is not a threat right now. Now, if interest rates went up, which is one of the jobs of the Federal Reserve is to prevent that from happening, by the way, interest rates go up and the United States has to roll over its debt to higher interest rates, and then we
0: can get into some trouble down the road. Now the reasons why they would raise the interest rate is if we see a lot of inflation pick up because there's a lot of money running around right now, interest rates are really low. If go, if businesses start spending their money in really not so smart ways, they're taking the low debt and then they're having trouble paying it back, that's a sign we need to raise interest rates. And that's what the Fed's kind of looking for. They're looking at inflation, but they're saying, we still have a lot of gap to work up. The, the fact that the hiring was as disappointing as it was in April, it missed expectations by more than 700,000 jobs. It was created 266,000 jobs when the consensus was a million expected to be created. So that means that we are still teetering, even with the stimulus, even with the other stuff going on, and maybe because of the stimulus in certain instances, there's ripples coming out from it. Unemployment insurance being as high as it is does cause some people not to go back to work, but it's a pretty small percentage, and we can do the math for you if you want on that.
1: Yeah. Chairman Powell made a speech, I think it was yesterday, that also emphasized something that's very real. We have not been hit by the mutated forms of the virus, the, the ones that are highly contagious that are going through India
0: right now and tearing up the Indians. Yeah. It's not just highly contagious. It's also highly contagious and symptomatic for younger populations. Yeah. And it's
1: causing particularly a lot of problems with pregnant women. We haven't been hit
0: with that variant of the virus yet. We don't know
1: whether the Vaccines will stop it. And so there is a distinct possibility we could get another virus shock in the United States. Trying to start raising interest rates or trying to start uh, stopping stimulus early, thinking we've got it whipped before we actually have it whipped. It's kind of like declaring victory before you win the war.
0: Right, exactly. Not, not, not a good st- idea. We are still in the trenches here. There's, there's no doubt about that. When we look at uh, the pandemic in India... If you want to see a nightmare scenario, just go look at the charts on that stuff. Look at the graphs on it. It's just, and and it's not capturing all of the numbers because they're so overwhelmed there right now. They don't have the ability to capture all the people that are really sick, the number of people that are really dying, and they don't have
1: they don't even have the ability to take care of the people who are dead.
0: Right, uh, they're out of oxygen all over the country Uh, by oxygen. I don't mean the stuff that we breathe in the air. I mean, the stuff in the tanks, they have plenty of capability of creating the oxygen and putting it in tanks. They have a shortage of tanks and they have an extremely long commute time from factory to hospital. Like even going, uh, there's an example of one of the major cities where going 20 miles took eight hours and when you're out of oxygen at a hospital, and you need the oxygen in 15 minutes, and it takes eight hours, a lot of people die. Uh, and those kind of variants, we think that the existing vaccine works against them, but it's not been fully tested. And so booster shots are one of the things people are talking about. All of this means that. We're not out of the woods yet just because we can see the light on the other side. We have to approach this carefully. The Federal Reserve is not likely to start raising interest rates anytime soon.
1: And there's no evidence of underlying inflation. There's a short-term spike in inflation that's going to happen because of logistics issues and a lot of, a lot of one-time issues, but I think it'll go away pretty
0: quickly. Yeah. Pretty quickly. Uh, as when we say logistics issue, here's a great example. Um, acrylic acid. Yeah, that's not something and people have heard of acrylics before. This is the absorbent stuff in diapers. Diaper prices are up about 15% from what they were before the Texas freeze. Well, why did I say before the Texas freeze? Because the refining facilities in Texas got shut down because of the freeze. And this wasn't some government ordered, by the way. It was a full blackout, massive freeze. The, The storm knocked everybody out. And I... I'm surprised I have to keep telling people that because people are talking about the government order to shut down during the freeze. That's that's not what happened, guys. The, the, the weather shut us down there. Uh, and I can show you how that, I could go into great detail on that, but I won't. The refining facilities that take petroleum products and make them into all kinds of other things, including acrylic a- acid, got shut down. And then when they got shut or started back up again, It was not at full capacity and there were a lot of trucks waiting to be filled. So there's a backlog, a massive backlog that's still affecting the price of diapers today. We're seeing the same thing when you're talking about gasoline prices because we have a shutdown of the colonial pipeline or coffee prices because there's a drought in Vietnam and in in Brazil they had floods. Uh, you, You go down the list and you can see we're having a crazy enough year of snarls in the supply chain, even if we didn't have the pandemic. And it's across the board. Uh, with the pandemic, the supply chain issue is gonna lead to higher prices on a lot of different things and lower prices in, in certain areas on a lot of things as well. So I wouldn't be surprised over the next week to see gas prices being lower in Texas because they've got all this gas that they need to pump out. Just just as an example, this is this pipeline that got shut down the Colonial Pipeline. It's 5,500 miles long. If you just think of it as a storage tank rather than a pipe, the largest storage tank in existence is that pipe. It's not a storage tank, so I'm not comparing apples to apples, but when you've got that much in the pipe and it's moving, well, then it's going from one storage facility to another, and the refining is, is building up the new stuff to replace the old stuff and send it up the pipeline. So what happens when the pipeline shuts? Where do we put the gasoline? And we've got storage facilities right there, and we've been filling them up. We're filling them up rapidly. Once the pipeline starts back up, we still have a glut. And you can't make that stuff flow a whole lot faster in that pipeline without increasing the pressure too high. So we've got a bit of a glut that we can't get rid of for a while in Texas at the same time that they're having a lack in the Northeast. So prices up there are gonna go up and prices here are probably gonna go down. We're seeing that all over right now. So when people say, hey, you're not predicting inflation, but look what happened to my gas price. And I say, yeah, look at somebody in Texas's gas price. Now let's average that. And this is something that we have said for many years. I got this quote from the Elder Baldy here when we're talking about statistics, if you have a foot in boiling water and a foot in dry ice, your average temperature's about right. That does not mean it's comfortable. And when we apply that to the entire economy right now, the aggregate numbers, the average numbers, are looking phenomenally good. But that's ignoring the big positives and the big, po- and then the big negatives to put together this average number. So just be aware, in any day-to-life activity, you could see a big jump up in a price and a big drop in another price, and it's likely to average out across the entire economy. But for you, it might not. You might be having a deflationary cycle right now in your spending. You might have more cash than you know what to do with because your normal prices are down right at the same time that we're warning about a spike in inflation. So just be aware of that. When we talk about this, macro is different than micro. Your life is not the life of average person who has 1.2 children. I've always wondered about that 0. 0.2 child, that poor thing. You know, that that leads into another subject. Every, every 10 seconds in the United States, a woman gives birth to a baby. As one busy woman. Yeah. Somebody needs to stop her like immediately. No, 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 no. Tell her to speed up. Oh, you got to speed up. Yeah, we're in the middle of a baby bust. Uh, Although there is some very anecdotal and very early evidence that we might have a boom following the bust. We'll see. Depends on how good the times are afterwards. We're in a baby bust. We have not seen birth rates this low since 1979. Birth rates and the number of births that's adjusted for population and not. We're seeing a big drop, And, and the biggest drops... We're in the people that plan for pregnancy. So we saw drops across the board. Teenagers had fewer babies. People in their 20s had fewer babies, 30s, 40s, the few in the 50s. They all had fewer babies. But there were a lot fewer babies born in the group starting at age 30 up and in the group that's in the teenage years. So down the,
1: to 1.64 children or babies per woman. Right. Right and that is not enough to replace our population which means our population if we didn't have immigration we'd have an aging population and uh, lowering workforce and get into serious economic trouble and the way we've made up for this in the we've had run into this in the past never nowhere near as bad as we're seeing right now but we run into it in the past and the way we made up for it is by immigration a lot of people today their ancestors didn't come over on the mayflower they came in in waves of immigration from europe from Ireland and, and from, from everywhere else, everywhere else. And the point is that we need to continue to have healthy immigration in the United States, or we're going to, we will, we will decline economically or
0: we have a choice. Yeah. Um, not that long ago, at least in my career, for some people, it's a lifetime ago. Japan was the number two economy on the planet. It is and threatening to overtake us. Right. And in the 1980s and early 1990s, I'll go back and watch Back to the Future 2. It's a great movie to begin with. Michael J. Fox. It's a pretty good classic. Get a good idea of what they expected life to be like pretty much now. Uh where are our hoverboards, by the way? I don't They exist. Yeah, but you have to stand on metal or use an electric motor with wheels. He was flying. Anyway, well, no, it feels like you're flying. Anyway, he's um, you know talking about his older self is talking about learning Japanese and bowing to his boss because the Japanese had taken over because that was the trend at the time. Uh, Rockefeller center was bought by the Japanese, uh, a whole lot of big institutions, very similar to what's happened over the last decade or so by the Chinese is that the Japanese were gaining on us rapidly. And then their demographic wave hit. They were having fewer and fewer babies their population was aging, their GDP has been shrinking year over year, decade over decade for the last several decades, while their per capita GDP has risen. That means each person's share of the gross domestic product, each person's individual income is higher, but they have fewer people. So they have less clout on the world stage. They have a whole lot, you know, they're, they're, they're not declining economically in the sense that people are suffering greatly there, but it means that they are not innovating at the level that they should be. And younger people tend to innovate. That's something that is absolutely true. And the good news on the demographic front is that China's in worse shape than we are. Lots worse. They uh, passed us up on average age several years ago. They probably had a peak in their population last year. Right. And they are going to start an accelerating decline in their population. So their population peak was probably last year. And this is from external sources as well as the CCP. Not that you should trust their word on things. So I'm looking at the external sources more. But they agree that their, their population peaked last year. And now they're heading down. Now, whether the rate that they head down is the thing that we're going to need outside observers to really understand, and it's going to be really hard because of the size of the numbers that we're talking about. Estimates can be way off on this stuff. But right down to it, they're aging a lot faster than we are, which means that they have that same kind of demographic tidal wave. The Japanese have social programs to help protect the elderly. The Chinese do not. So there's a big deal. We have social programs to help protect the elderly. The Chinese do not. So even with an aging population, more burden is going to be put on the younger people, but not in a way that will destroy them, hopefully. Whereas in China, it kind of might, because there's a social standard that you take care of your grandparents. And right now, the average person age 20 is the only grandchild for four grandparents in China. That's Not to mention two parents. uh, Yeah, so they've got two parents and four grandparents that they need to take care of in their old age. And that's the social contract that the CCP kind of enforces. You get a social score based on this. Yeah, there's
1: law that says you have to support your parents and grandparents.
0: So our demographic issues are nowhere near as bad as theirs, So when you're looking around, and and I'm feeling this right now, looking at manufactured items of any kind, it's going to say made in China on it. It's just really rare to have anything else on there. Even if it says German steel, right underneath it'll say made in China. Uh, It says uh, American parts and manufacturing made in China. Because we've moved so much of our manufacturing overseas, the good news on this front, is there? there is a tremendous amount and that needs to have, that word needs to be bolded and italics and underlined, amount of investment from companies that have plants overseas, either American companies or otherwise. Taiwan is building two massive chip manufacturing plants in Arizona. Uh, Tesla is building plants in the United States as a preference over other places at this point because they think that automation is at a point now that cheap labor has nothing to do with it. And this is the last point on China. Cheap labor has nothing to do with it. it used to have something to do with it, but Chinese labor is not cheap anymore. We moved to China because their labor was cheap. We stayed in China because they grew their expertise to do the and their facilities to do the manufacturing that we had the demand for. We have a lot of de-kinking of the chain to do. A lot of intense research into intellectual property violations. Uh, There's a lot of patent and trademark violation that takes place just normally in China. This is part of the reason why we're seeing delisting of Chinese companies on the US stock exchanges, is that they're actively into corporate corporate espionage. They're actively owned by the Chinese government. And that government, spreads those secrets from the place that took the secret to other places that are also owned by the government. So we, we've we got a tremendous amount of change that I expect to see in the supply chain. We, we said that this was going to happen when toilet paper was hard to get. It didn't have anything to do with China, because toilet paper is not made in China and shipped back. We make it in the south of the United States. But all the other things, the chip manufacturing, um, Taiwan is building in Arizona because they're looking ahead at the number of chips that they have. They have a glut of chips in Taiwan. Are you aware of this? Yes. They have been making chips since the pandemic started. They didn't shut down. They're still making chips. So we're shutting down plants in Texas and in uh, Minnesota and in Indianapolis and all over the place. We're shutting down plants because we don't have enough computer chips when they have a lot over there because we can't get them over here.
1: Well, they're, they have chips, but they're not the right chips that we need. They are willing to fly. Believe me, GM is very willing to fly chips across the Atlantic or across the Pacific to get them to open up their assembly lines again because people want to buy their vehicles. But the wrong—they were making the wrong kind
0: of chips. They were making chips for computer games instead of motor, motor vehicles. Right. So they got a glut the wrong kind of chips. So Intel has gone through a big manufacturing. I don't know, confusion snarl where they were saying maybe we'll start making our or having somebody outsourcing our chip manufacturing and there was loud shrieking from everyone over this and they came back and they said, no, I think we'll just keep doing what we're doing. There was a lot of yelling so we're going to manufacture our chips. Well, it means that they're going to have to spend a lot of money. The reason why they were talking about outsourcing is because they're getting down to a smaller and smaller scale Um, and I've got a a great example of this. Um, IBM made its first chip with a two nanometer uh, nanosheet technology. Yep. That's this week. Two nanometers, just like trillions are big, nanometers are small. And about, you know, in ways that we cannot comprehend the sizes of, two nanometers is just incredibly small. And that's the new technology um nanosheet transistors and two at th- two and three nanometers uh, are coming out um this is this is something what does that do what what is what is so important about this Jake? Why is this important that we're getting smaller Of course we're small we've been small for a long time we' we're just getting smaller and smaller This is like quadrupling the battery life technology, like recharging your phone every four days or every week this is cars that don't have to stop because they've reached 400 miles and they're electric. This is a faster recharge rate. This has nothing to do with batteries. It has to do with the stuff that's using the energy that the batteries are are, are making. And this is American technology. We're still the leaders in almost every area of innovation. We had a good conversation last week about 5G and why it was that Huawei of all places took off and took 5G. It wasn't because they suddenly became innovative. It's because they suddenly looked in everybody else's computers and said, hey, we can combine all this technology and hey, we, we got it first. So there's a lot for us to digest right now. Uh, the, the, the entire economy is in a major shift major shift. And I I wish there was some way I could explain this. It's happening at each business. The conversations in the boardroom and by the coffee maker and across their Zoom chat are, hey, I think we could uh, look into this new automotive technology. And they're not consulting other companies that are in the same business. They're saying, hey, this might be cheaper to do it here. Same thing's happening on renewable energy. And just to, uh, I constantly have to say this, this isn't about greenness, it's about profitability. And in the next three years or so, the technology is already in place. It's just to the manufacturing side that manufacturing a solar field in the first year costs less than maintaining the same power generation pipeline of natural gas. Think about that for a second. The cost involved in the full manufacturing, which is usually spread over thirty years, is less than one year's cost of running the institution and I can provide people the data on this i've just gotten back from a or gotten back from a virtual conference where um, the conversations amongst the academics were going wild about uh, numbers on costs, great new studies on Comparisons, this isn't saying that somehow coal is bad or natural gas is bad or oil is bad any more than saying using a water wheel is bad to power your power tools. I would need a pretty good stream to power the power tools that I have in my house outside to run a water wheel and then I'd have to figure out how to connect all those tools to this turning shaft. Technology increased. We went to steam, started using coal. Why aren't we using coal for that anymore? Why aren't we using steam for that anymore? We got better technologies. It was not saying something about dirtiness or cleanliness, although we wound up getting cleaner in the process. That's where we are in this big transition today on power, on manufacturing. I expect that the United States in the next 20 years will come back to being the number one manufacturer on the planet because the technology is is coming. Uh, it, that's a very interesting statement. So I would re- request that people remind me of this in 20 years, but the technology is there and that's a big prediction. What do you think about that? I don't know. 20 years is a long time. We're capable of doing it, but they're also capable of other people doing it too. Yeah. Cause the automation is out there for anybody to do.
1: All depends on whether they, other countries evolve to be more liberal in their, uh, in their economics are more conservative in their economics. By the way, China is conservative in its economics. The United States is liberal in its economics. Free enterprise is
0: liberal economics. Yeah, I know people, they go, wait, wait, because it's not the standard liberal conservative that we talk about in U.S. politics. If we look at history of the world in general, the very normal, most conservative approach is the government tells everybody what to do. That is, that is the normal throughout history, and that's considered the conservative. If you have a free market system where the government is mostly trying to stay out of your business as far as money goes, and I know as much as the U.S. government's involved, it's still a lot less involved than Germany or China. So just keep that in mind. We have an extremely liberal economic policy in the United States. I know that's weird. People people get upset when I say that the first time around if they're conservative. They're like, I'm not free liberal. Inter- I'm like, well, yeah, you're for free yeah, market. Yeah. Free enterprise is liberalism in economics. Letting everybody do what they want to is liberalism. We got to play some commercials. Uh We'll be back on the other side with more of The Personal Wealth Coach. And we're back with more of The Personal Wealth Coach. This is Jake McClure, and on the line with me, I have... Jeff McClure. We are the balding duo, although in your case, it's balding. In my case, it's just bald. I don't know. I think I'm about as bald as I'm going to get. Yeah, you're. so you're you're kind of gotten as bald as you're going to get, but you still have hair on the sides of your head, where I don't.
1: Yeah, but you shave it off. It's there. You're just hiding it.
0: Well, I guess that puts me constantly in the balding category or bald on the one day that I shave it a week. That's
1: right. Well, there's some good news in the economy. There's a lot of good news in the economy. We've been talking about that threats, because that's more popular to talk about. Productivity increased 5.4% at an annualized rate in the first quarter. Now, that's that that's doesn't huge, sound huge. We've been on an annualized rate of increase in productivity over the years, last decade or so. It's been like 1.7, maybe occasionally we'll hit two. Five 5.4% increase in productivity is pretty impressive. But let me give you an idea of what that means. Right about now, We're probably crossing our total at the point where our
0: total GDP in the United States is
1: equal to what it was before the pandemic,
0: January of 2020. But we're doing it with 8.6 million fewer workers.
1: And that's actually more than that. There's 8.2 million people unemployed, but there's 6.4 million people that dropped out of the workforce along the way. So So we're doing it with a lot fewer workers. That's called productivity. And the thing is, the average hour, the average work week is still only 35.6, which means that there's only a certain amount of overtime being given out to do this. This is increase in productivity. It's generally due to, well, it's generally due to just increasing efficiency, but there's also some automation coming into play. And that's what's going on in the United States today. That is a very positive move in the right direction. Uh, that's, a, that's big
0: news. It should make headlines, but people couldn't understand it, so it didn't. Right. Uh, it's really big the, news from from our perspective. That may be the biggest thing we've talked about today. The uh,
1: the IHS market, uh, IHS market, the purchasing managers index from the other. What's the other organization? Anyway, the purchasing managers index was up was sixty point four. Or it just came out for ISI. ISI I, something. I, 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 ISM. ISM Yeah. Institute for Supply Management, Purchasing Managers Index. Say, we finally get it right. Yeah, well, eventually we get to it. It just has to be remembered. Came out at at 60.4. Now, it was 64 last month, but that was was an anomaly because it was surging back after the February ice storm. So 60 on a a scale where 50, anything above 50 indicates growth, below 50 indicates contraction in the manufacturing industry. Now, this is funny. Despite the fact... That we have this huge growth going on in the manufacturing industry. The manufacturing industry laid off a net 18,000
0: people last month. Again, productivity gains or what's the difference?
1: I don't know. There's a lot of mystery in the 266,000 new jobs created net. Uh, We found retail was laid off 15,000 people net last
0: month. And I don't understand why that happened either. Yeah, and what you said the first hour about ADP saying over eight hundred thousand new people on the private side were hired, that means that maybe a big chunk of this came from government layoffs. No, we no. got we don't see that. So the numbers are not adding up the way we like them to, but that's normal in this kind of snarled up mess. The people that put these numbers together are in the same boat as the people that are supposed to be collecting our taxes right now. The IRS is months and months and months behind on everything it's doing. Part of that's because new laws were passed. Part of that's because they're short-staffed. Part of it's because of the pandemic. But the reality is that there are people that have filed in February and still haven't gotten their refunds now. Well, well, ADP only,
1: only reports on the companies that they service. That's right. There's a lot else going on out there that they don't service. It's generally an indicator in a, in a smoothly functioning uh, job market where everything is running along without too many bumps. ADP's indication is a good advance notice of what was going to come out from the government. But in this case, it wasn't. It was the reverse. It could be just a single-time anomaly, uh,
0: in which case we may never Somebody will write a Ph.D. dissertation uh, I, on this. I think there's there's some ideas on what that's from. There are businesses that have finally given up the ghost uh, small businesses that finally just said this is not enough I can't keep the doors open uh, and those are generally very small businesses not being serviced by ADP so there's that and then the municipal governments all over the the country have had weird, layoffs in the middle of this as well so they've got some gains in jobs there i don't know i don't these are numbers that somebody's going to get somebody's going to write their dissertation and have like some kudos on these numbers i got another question from john you see that i don't i didn't get it he likes you better than he likes me
1: no he wrote it to you too Oh. He wrote can you give some real examples of what you guys say to try to keep clients from making bad investment decisions well this time right about now with well, the kind of investment decisions that we're t- talking to people about are the ones where they want to get aggressive they yeah. want to buy some they want to buy hot stocks they want to speculate in the market because the market because the market's going up and they're excited about it and we try to talk them out of it and we try to stay with value and a balanced portfolio
0: that's really hard to do it's hard for us to do for that matter shoot. You'd love to see your portfolios go up 80% a year. Right. You know how many headlines I've seen in the past week that started with 10 ways to get rich quick or things along those lines? That That is prevalent right now. And when you hear yeah. somebody that's gotten up 8,000% in their Dogecoin because they bought it as a joke and now they are going, well, maybe I'll buy my house with it. Um, it's hard to say, hey, that's not a good idea when they've had those kinds of returns let me kind of flip it around to March and April of last year. You realize you have
1: to, people have to get out their history books. Remember that,
0: right? But I had calls from people that were saying, "I need to get out of the market," and yeah, I would so say, I. "And I would say we didn't have a lot of them because we educate our clients really well. Hey, the market's going to go down in the future. It it has gone down so many times in the past. Historically, it's a lot more up than down, but it's going to go down. That's part of the market and." Uh, the number of people that have said, I need to get out. And they were right approaching the very bottom when the market's down like 55%. And if they'd gotten out then, the recovery since then, the market is way above what it was at the top in 2019. So they would have missed a big chunk of that. And us telling them, hey, we planned the portfolio or you planned your portfolio knowing that the market went down. You don't get out if you're well diversified because the market's down. If you feel like getting out, let's talk about it after the recovery and get you more conservative. Well, the same people that were calling me a year ago to say, let me out of the market, I'm terrified, are talking to me about Dogecoin now because they don't remember a year ago when they were terrified of the world collapsing around them Instead, they're hearing about how these absolutely pie-in-the-sky ideas that they don't even understand. They have no idea what a Dogecoin is. It's just doing well. So that's the thing, that having an advisor that says, is this part of your long-term plan? Are you trying to follow a crowd? Because there's something that's pretty consistent across marketplaces throughout time. If you're following the crowd, you're not going to get the same deals as the people at the front of the crowd. And a lot of times you wind up being the reason why the people up front made their profit because you made your loss. You're the one that bought from them as they were selling. So that's a great deal of value that gets added in when talking to somebody that just knows your long-term goals, that just happens to be a third party. And you can throw the idea and you say, if they just say, what is a Dogecoin to you? I don't know. Well, do you want to buy something you don't know about with a lot of your money? That's a pretty simple thing. There's
1: another thing that's important. In down markets, we talk people out of getting out of the markets. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do because they are panicked. They think they're going to go broke. The market's going to go to zero. I want to tell you that happens almost inevitably when I hear somebody give me a call and says, I want out of the market. The market's going to crash last March or whenever. The market has crashed. It's going to go to zero. I need out of the market. I can't afford to lose all my money. I hear the TV going in the background. Yeah. They're, wa- they're watching some off-the-wall cable news channel.
0: With bells and whistles and alarm bells and stuff. Yeah.
1: Sometimes with bells and whistles. But remember that those people give very poor advice. Let me just say that across the board. Those people give very, poor, very, very, very poor advice. I don't have anything against Fox, but there was a commentator on Fox who was very popular back in 2009. He said we were going to see the, when the Federal Reserve was pumping money into the economy said we're going to see runaway inflation, we're going to see double-digit inflation because there's so much money is being pumped into the economy and we ought to buy gold. Well, he was being paid by the cold companies during that whole time period. The point is, the market recovered and gold didn't. That's an important thing to recognize. Sure, gold is high, but it was higher, it's been higher in the past and, and after you take factor in inflation over the last 40 years, gold has lost money. But, you gotta, you gotta really understand that if you're going to be, if you're going to get a return higher than inflation, then you're going to need to have the understanding that occasionally there are market panics. Market panics, all asset classes go down at the same time. You need, so you need to be prepared for that, have a plan for it, and execute the plan when it comes. The plan does not include bailing out when the market goes down because you can't. You, that's, that's, is a we. John just sent us a quote. I can't tell you how to get rich quickly, the Hungarian stockbroker and trader Andrei Kostolani
0: liked to say. I can only tell you how to get poor quickly by trying to get rich quickly. That's right. And that's that's the thing is that you're going to see headlines. I mean, there's one right now on the Wall Street Journal about somebody that bought a $650,000 house with his cryptocurrencies. He made enough in cryptocurrencies. He's a software engineer that he could buy this house. And there are people who have made tremendous amounts of money in cryptocurrency, and there are people that have lost tremendous amounts of money in cryptocurrency, and we don't usually talk about the people that lose the money when the market's going nuts. When it's going the other direction, that's when all the headlines are about Jenny who put all her money in cryptocurrency knowing that her neighbor had just bought his $650,000 house with it, and now she has nothing. And that's, that's the cycle and there are cryptocurrencies that have not done well during the same time period. There are cryptocurrencies that have done extremely well. So what's the difference between the two? If you don't know, you probably shouldn't be buying. The other thing about cryptocurrencies,
1: it's important to know who, holds, who actually holds your wallet and where it is. Because uh, one of the things that the cryptocurrency boom has done is enrich the North Korean hackers
0: and the government, as they have managed to rip off wallets from people Yeah, and so the Chinese control more than 50% of the largest uh, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and they are approaching that on almost all cryptocurrencies. So just be aware that if you're getting into cryptocurrencies to get out of some kind of governmental fiat currency, when the Chinese are controlling that large a percentage of it, you're losing that. When the Chinese government is investing in it what does that tell you i mean it means that when they get enough clout they control the market now you have fiat currency again uh just be aware of that both the european union and the united states are working on a cryptocurrency crypto dollar yeah which will will hold its constant value which i think is a good thing i I do too it will uh hopefully make trade across countries very fast Uh, that is that is the big thing um, Could put all the banks out of business, though. It might, it might not, and it should be the banks that are holding this stuff. Anyway, no, we're we're about out of time. We are yeah, uh, right. for the week. If you would like to contact us off the air, we do give investment advice and and we manage portfolios for people of high net worth. We function as fiduciaries. If you don't know what that means, please look it up. Um, and you can talk to us off the air. Either through email directly, jake at tpwc.com or jeff at tpwc.com. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com. There's all kinds of good stuff on there. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can see where our podcast is and listen to it. It's all kinds of good stuff. You want to give and the you local And 254-947-1111. And toll free, that's 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. Thank you very much for listening to us, and we'll talk to you again next week.